Macworld Podcast number 354 for Wednesday, May 8th, 2013. Hello again, everyone. This is Philip Michaels. I am your Macworld podcast host this week. Why am I hosting? Because my guest is Chris Breen, who would normally be hosting, but he has plenty of things to say about an, a, a subject that we just ran an article on at Macworld.com, setting up a Mac Mini Media Center. Hello, Chris. Hello, Phil. How are you today? I am quite well, thank you. Well, who wouldn't be well if they have an entire world of entertainment at their fingertips stored uh, uh, more or less on a Mac Mini? And uh, why don't you tell us what the um, what the uh, genesis of this uh, of this setup was? Why why did you decide to to go out and um, turn your entertainment uh, entertainment over to Apple's uh, uh, least uh, least eye catching desktop? Well, this is a project that I've taken on many times. I think this is the fourth time I've done this. Um, and it was largely because when the, I, I, um, the Mac Mini first came out, it seemed like a nice little media server because it didn't have a display anyway, so you might as well plug it into a TV. It was, you know, not a terribly fast computer, but for a media server, you don't need a terribly fast computer. And so every two to three iterations of this thing, I say, okay, how's it going to work now? And also because the way we are getting media now is changing, and it has continued to change over the last six years or so. And so this is also another way of, of sort of st setting a stake in the ground and saying, okay, where are we now? Are we at the point where we can cut the cord completely and rely on something like a Mac Mini or not? And so uh, it was It was that time. What, what was the last time that you uh, that you actually went to the trouble of, of doing this setup, how many? How, how long has it been? I think it's been three years now. Oh wow! Okay, and so obviously uh, changes on the the Mac Mini front since then. What? Why did you pick the system that you ended up going with as the as the 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 brains of this operation? Well, I chose the least expensive one because I really wanted to think of this as a set top box rather than a computer. So even though six hundred dollars is a bit much for a set top box, at least it. It's sort of within the realm of, well, if I'm going to get an expensive audio system and a great big HDTV, sure, let's get a computer to go with it. Um, I thought that the more expensive, the $200 more expensive iPad or uh, Mac Mini really didn't give you that much. It gives you a faster processor and it gives you more storage. But what we're talking about is the difference between 500 gigabytes of storage and a terabyte of storage. And honestly, when you're talking about media files, they're so big anyway that you're going to be relying on external storage. So why bother? You're going to get a, a hard, an external hard drive anyway. And the faster processor isn't going to make a lot of difference. So I wanted it as inexpensive as I could make it, yet up to date. All right. And one of the things that seems to have changed with the, the Mac Mini um Maybe since the last time you've done this, but certainly in recent years, is is there's no drive on the uh, no accessible optical drive on the on the darn thing anymore? Is that that correct? Yeah, that's right. The um, since the last iteration, they've pulled the optical drive from the Mac Mini because Apple doesn't really believe in discs anymore. So they decided, you know, why would you, even though they sort of set this up as a media server in that it it has an HDMI port on the on the back, it's got both FireWire and Thunderbolt. 
They just really thought, no, discs are not where it's at. We would much prefer that people stream or maybe purchase media through the iTunes store. So who needs it? So I, I, I've got all these DVDs then. Uh, how do I get them uh, onto my magical little box and, and onto my TV if, if there's no optical drive in which I can insert said disc? Well, presuming that you don't have another Mac that you've ripped, that you're using to rip those DVDs with, you can buy an accessory, and Apple is more than happy to sell you their $79 external super drive, and it will do CDs and DVDs. But quite honestly, although it looks nice, it has the same design look as does the Mac Mini, there's no reason to buy that. You can go to Amazon and you can get a player just as good for about 30 bucks. And unless you really want that same uh, artistic dynamic that, that the mini has, save yourself 40, 50 bucks, 50 dollars and get a, get a cheap uh, super drive. All right. Uh, another development since I think the last time you, uh, you set up your Mac mini in this, in this home entertainment manner is the, the rise of Blu-ray as a as a technology, and uh, how did you compensate for that this time around? Well, there is no compensation. There, uh, uh, Apple has has never embraced Blu-ray in any way. They, Steve Jobs said it's a bag of hurt, and I guess everybody nodded in agreement, and that was the last we heard about it. So, yes, you can add an external Blu-ray super drive sort of thing, and it's fine for. Um, Storage. So if you want to write to an optical drive that has more capacity than a DVD, a Blu-ray is a perfectly reasonable way to do that, and there's good software for doing that. However, playing from a Blu-ray to a Mac, it's possible, but the software that's been developed for it is pretty marginal. Uh, a number of companies have tried it. It may actually be just one hunk of so software that's being sold by a number of different companies, but it doesn't really work all that well. It you have to be connected to the internet to use it because it has to find some de decryption keys to use, and it's just a pain in the neck. So given how inexpensive Blu-ray drives are now, I think this is one of those places where you just say, okay, I can't do it with this device, but I can just get an external Blu-ray player, a regular one that I would use normally and play my Blu-rays that way. You, you mentioned um, the storage limitations of the of the Mac Mini earlier, the, uh, because you know movies movies aren't exactly small, TV shows aren't exactly small. How uh, how do you uh, fit all this stuff in there? Yeah, well, you're correct in that movies can be you know three gigabytes if you get them from the iTunes store, and a and an HD TV show an hour long can be almost two gigabytes. So you're really talking about quite a bit of storage. So uh, regardless of which model you get, whether you get the higher, higher price spread or not, you're going to fill up that drive pretty quickly. So you want to go with an external drive. Now, one of the interesting things I found out when I talked to Jim Galbraith in our labs is that in the past, if you got a Mac mini, you would actually benefit by booting from an external drive, a FireWire drive. Why, why is that? Well, the internal drive on the Mini was quite slow. And they've done something in these newer models so that he actually tested them. And he said, you know, it's about the same now. So in the past, I would have set up an external FireWire drive as a boot drive, booted from that, and not worried about the internal drive all that much. But at this point... You can just go with the internal drive and then keep your media stored elsewhere and then point iTunes toward it or point whatever 
uh, music player you're using, and we could talk about that later. You don't have to use iTunes with this stuff. Or you could use network attached storage and instead go through your network and stream your media over that way, which is what I ended up doing. It's a more expensive proposition, but if you want to distribute media throughout your house and have a central repository for it, that's a really good way to go. All right. Now let's let's uh, uh, turn our attention to control and uh, both uh, the 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 software a little bit later on, but um, right now the hardware. Obviously, uh, TV remote control remote controls are great. I can I, I I have a nice little cozy to put mine in. Uh, how do you control a Mac Mini uh, in in the setup that you have? Well, it does have an infrared control, so you can mm-hmm. get the Apple remote for it. And that controls a, a limited number of things on there. So if you're using iTunes, for example, you can control it with that. Um, if you're using PowerPoint, you, you can use the little controller. But in terms of controlling the entire interface, it's useless because it just doesn't do that. Right. The alternative is, and what a lot of people have done in the past, is that they've had their little mini there in their cabinet, and they pull out the wired keyboard and the wired mouse and the minute you do that, you've sort of defeated the purpose of it. Yeah, this. that just makes me so sad, like uh, having my <laughs> – all right, I'm 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 in the future and streaming things from a computer, and now I'm going to pull out uh, a, a keyboard and type. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, it, and because part of the mission of this is that you want to make this useful for more than just you. Hopefully, the people in your family would be encouraged to use this setup as well. But when you do pull out that keyboard and mouse, and particularly when they're wired, you have to get up from the couch, which defeats the entire – if you've – if you get up from the couch, you lose. Yeah. It's not working. But people still continue to do this. So naturally, those people who, who are listening, I say, aha, but all you have to do is use a, a wireless keyboard and mouse, and then you're okay. And you can. You can use a Bluetooth keyboard and mouse, but actually the Bluetooth uh, keyboard and trackpad are better. But now you've got two components. It's still a little nerdly. And again, your family members are going to say, really? Do we have to do that? Yes, if you're a power user, you would you would use that keyboard and, and trackpad. So 12 South has this, uh, it's called the Magic Wand, and it actually is a very simple thing. It's It looks like a little trough, and it's a $30 hunk of metal, basically, that you clip your trackpad and your keyboard into, and it makes it one unit, which makes it much easier to control. You just put it on your lap, and you don't have to feel like you've got these, you know, both these devices spread out on a table in front of you. You can put your feet up, control everything from that, and, you, and you're good to go. And when you're done with that, is that – where do you store that or do you just keep it out or how, how does that work? I may keep it out. The, the problem is I have cats and so they walk all oh, over it. And, well, you know, sure. and then next thing you know, it's the monks, you know, in robes channel. So I tend to put the thing away and, and watch and use a different device. And that other device is, a, is an iOS device. So if you have a, an iPhone or an iPod Touch, or particularly an iPad, because you have a larger control surface, there are a couple of applications you can use. One is um, a guy from a guy named Evan Sch- uh, Schoenberg called Romote Pro, and that's a $5 app. And then there's Adobe's $5 touchpad. These both will mimic a full keyboard or something more like the Apple Remote remote and they give you a touch surface as well you run a little server application that's free on your mac and then you can control this thing over wi-fi and it works really well 
much like using a, a real trackpad and keyboard, but you don't have sort of that baggage of the keys and the real trackpad and having to haul the thing out and worrying about the cat stepping on it. Right. And the, the advantage over the, the Apple's iOS app is, is that has the limitations that we, we mentioned earlier, correct? Yeah, because again, the Apple, you can mimic the Apple remote in that it gives you very simple keys like play, pause, up, down, volume, up and down. But sometimes you're going to need to enter a web address, for example. So you need a full scale keyboard. Uh, you're going to need to mouse around and then you could use their trackpad for doing that. Another thing that people will often do is that they'll use a full VNC client. So something like the $25 iTeleport or $5 Splash Top remote desktop. And on an iPad, that that shows you what is on the screen of your Mac. So if you really want to feel like you're controlling the whole thing instead of using a virtual keyboard and mouse, you can just tap on it as if it was the computer itself. Whoops, time for an ad. Hit it, Phil. Today's Macworld podcast is brought to you by Smile Software, makers of the fantastic PDF Pen 6. PDF Pen is the all-purpose Mac PDF editor. You can add signatures, text, and images. It makes changes and corrects typos. You can use it to fill out forms like I do. I never have to mess with a fax machine again. And you can turn scanned images of text into words you can use. Version 6 includes new features such as Microsoft Word export and optimization for retina displays. PDF Pen 6 costs $59.95. For more features like the ability to convert websites into multi-page PDFs, complete with their own hyperlinks, Links, try the Pro version for $99.95. Both are available directly from Smile, including a free demo, and on the Mac App Store. Go to smilesoftware.com slash mwpodcast for more information. Okay, so where were we? Oh, that's right. That's the physical controls. The on-screen uh, uh, controls, typically one thinks of front row. Uh, I think a front row is the the app that opens up when I'm using my Apple TV remote and um, uh, it interferes with all the Macs in my house and suddenly all the Macs in my house are running front row. But um, what are the the what was your approach there? I, I assume you you turned to some third party applications as well. Well, you have to because front row is dead. Ah. So with uh, a couple of iterations ago, Apple right. just said we're done. You know, this looked cool, and we're not going to do this. So it's gone. So you have to turn to third parties unless – and again, this is for simplifying for people around you. Yes, you could control it just like you could control your computer and do everything that way, but nobody else is going to use it, and, and that's not part of the goal. So there are a couple of media applications out there. There's one called XBMC. And this is an open source media center application. And then other applications are built on top of it. And, and the one that people tend to be most enthused about is Plex. And I chose Plex instead of XBMC because it has a, a broader uh, range of possibilities. If you're a geek, you can use XBMC and you could, you could write your own modules and things for it. But Plex really is a much more polished interface. So... When you fire up Plex, it takes over the entire screen. So you really feel like you're sitting in front of a media box instead of a computer. And not only do you have access to your local media, which is important, which means you don't have to dink around with iTunes, but rather it will go directly into your media and it will pull it up into Plex. But it also does a lot of streaming stuff as if you had a Roku box. So it gives you access to things like Hulu and The Daily Show and PBS, YouTube, Netflix, Amazon Instant Video, Pandora, Shoutcasts, 
Spotify and probably other some uh, other music streaming services as well. So it's very uh, complete in terms of streaming and local media, but it's not good for live TV. All right. Um, did you keep a running tally on how much putting together this system cost? Well, it's largely the cost of the um, of the box itself. Mm-hmm. So if you want to. If you already have a wireless keyboard and mouse, that's you're taking care of there. If not, you know you're looking at spending $120 or something oh, to, to take okay. care of that. If you go with the iOS apps instead, they really are quite inexpensive. So you can do that for under 10 bucks, depending on which way you want to go. It's um, where you're going to start spending money is on media. So if you want Hulu, you're going to pay the subscription for that, or Spotify, or um, some of the other streaming services that that charge you. Um, one of the things that you can do through your computer is is do HBO Go, but you can't have HBO Go unless you already have an existing subscription through your cable or your satellite service. So in terms of completely cutting the cord, you can't have HBO. They don't sell it a la carte. Right, right. And how much uh, time goes into to setting up this entire uh, system that you put together? I think it was probably two days total um, Mm -hmm. where I got it to the point where I would work on it for a while and I'd bring my wife in and say, hey, could you use this? She goes, no, I I can't. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And then I bring my daughter and she goes, yeah, totally. So um, it really, I mean, that's the point is, is getting it to where the family will use it. And I'm pretty close now. There's still certain things that you can't do with um within plex and you have to dump yourself out and go to a web browser for example hbo go i'm a direct tv customer and even though they technically support hbo go they don't have an hbo go channel on direct tv so what you have to go through these machinations. Yes, you can look at it directly on your iPad. You can look at a lot of on-demand stuff on DirecTV, but again, they don't have the specific HBO Go thing set up. And yes, I could mirror it from my iPad to my TV, but I really want all this to kind of work from one device. So the way to get to HBO Go on a computer is through your browser. Right. So you have to kind of go through that browser. And part of the challenge is, how do you do this without forcing your family into the browser and having to type in a URL? And that's that required some finagling. And mostly what I fell back on is creating automator workflows that would were configured as a service, and then there was a keyboard shortcut that would trigger that service. So when you punch function F2, for example, Safari launches... It takes you to HBO Go and it takes you to the login page where then, yes, they have to type in their password to get in. But beyond that, they're done. Um, so for there is some geekifying behind the scenes if you want to do that sort of stuff and, and protect people from seeing the guts of it. Mm-hmm. I guess the, the question that listeners might have on their, their mind right now, not to, not to put question, not to, not to assume what people are thinking – but let's just let's just say for a moment, maybe they're thinking, Chris, with this Apple TV that's out, and or the Roku, or any any one of a number of set top boxes. Why why wouldn't I just opt for those to to 
augment my TV viewing experience instead of going through the the rigmarole of setting up a Mac Mini in the way that you describe? What are what are the advantages and 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 disadvantages and 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 uh, stuff of that nature. The advantage of the Mac mini is that you really have access to everything that's available. The disadvantage is complexity. So Mm -hmm. as much as you try to simplify this, it isn't as easy as using a Roku or an Apple TV. The disadvantage of the Apple TV is really it's built around local media. It's built around iTunes still. They've added some things. You can get Netflix on there. You can do Hulu through there, and that's all great. But Apple really hasn't been aggressive about bringing in a lot of streaming content. They are get, trying to get hit the obvious stuff, but they don't want to open this up to a lot of different things. Roku has done that. They've been quite aggressive about that, but they're terrible with local media. So it's, um, it, I mean, each one has its advantages, but you really want both of them together in a single package where you have really easy access to local media and an aggressive stance toward getting streaming media. I, I hate to then, you know, sound like I'm an analyst on an Apple financial call, but this sort of, there, there seems to be a, a, a gap in the home entertainment market for a, a kind of a smart connected TV. Is that the sort of thing that you, you see Apple stepping into to, to fill in the breach or are they, they sort of happy with the Apple TV, what that offers, or what uh, uh, enthusiasts like yourself might do with the Mac Mini? Well, Mr. Munster, this is how we would answer that question. Mm. Um, it's This isn't all under Apple's control. I think when, when people look at Apple and think that they can do anything, they sometimes don't look as far as examining what their partner's desires or their potential partners might might be. The TV and movie industry is, has never been particularly interested in Apple succeeding in this way. They, have, they throw them a bone every so often and say, yes, you can do this, yes, you can do that. But after what happened to the music industry, which is basically Apple took it over, they looked on that experience and said, we're not going to let that happen to us. So we're not going to give Apple the kind of control that they would need or desire in order to take over our business. So that is things like, we're not going to give you simultaneous release with theaters. We're not going to open up streaming like HBO Go and some of these other networks in order to do this. We're not going to give you con- uh, access to our live TV content. So the notion of a of doing all that, I mean, it would be wonderful if, yes, we had an Apple-branded TV and it was a great big old thing and had the Apple logo on and it, you know, smelled of donuts. But it requires the cooperation of the media industry. The other issue with that, and and I think this is another thing that analysts don't pay attention to, is that where Apple tends to succeed are with devices that you turn over every couple of years. One would hope that if you purchased a large 60-inch television set, that two years from then you wouldn't look at yet another $2,200 device or whatever it is and think, no, I really want that. I'm going to get rid of my television in order to get this thing. We're used to turning over devices like phones and iPads and iPods, but to turn over a television is like turning over a refrigerator every couple of years. You really want to have a TV that's going to last you a good six and beyond years. And if it doesn't, there's got to be a really compelling reason for doing that. So that, to me, just doesn't seem like Apple's market, that they don't want to sell you 
something once every decade. They want to sell you something every couple of years. So uh, ideally, yes, it would be wonderful if Apple did that. But I think, one, it's not Apple's business. And two, I think there are too many people trying to prevent Apple from succeeding for it to be a viable option. Well, on that note, I think that we've talked about this topic just as much as we can, unless there's there's anything that you'd like to add, Chris, about Apple products that do smell like donuts. Well, um, I understand that the new Mac Mini, oh. is, yeah, the next version is going to have a... No, actually, if you get the original Apple TV, uh, you could put a cold donut on there, and within <laughs> six minutes... It's you'll, get that, you'll get that donut smell. Oh, boy. Well, through the room. Yeah, it's quite oh, a thing. Uh, well, yes. well, indeed. Um, that'll give Apple something to think about as we end this podcast. And I'd <laughs> like to thank uh, you, Chris Breen, for stopping by today to talk about uh, the Mac Mini. Thank you, Phil. I'd like to thank you listeners for for listening to Chris Breen talk, and we'll be back next week with um, even more talk of of the world of Apple and, and donuts and other things. So until then, take care. 